So, Brian, we got started talking about medicine and medical science because of a recent visit that you'd had to the doctor. And that we were uh, discussing the fact that um, mysticism and medicine have been interrelated for many, many centuries. That in fact, you could say that practical medicine or absolutely accurate working medicine, scientifically based, was originally shamanism that just happened to have worked. <laughs> and because it did, the shamans kept doing it. Eventually, the shamans got an educational system going. They started making some rules. But all along, there is always this uh, mystical side, or some people can call it the magical side of medicine, uh, that is there. An example of that, uh, and we can get into it a little bit deeper, that when you know what the problem is, then we know generally what the solution is. For instance, if the arm is broken, then you want to set it. And if it is a compound fracture, you want to be careful in setting it, which may be quite a procedure. And then you want to pacify it or to um, uh, immobilize it with a cast or something like that. All right. Now, we have known about doing that for many, many centuries. In fact, uh, uh, going back to the gladiator time of Rome, they have discovered now that the gladiators, the owners of these slaves and the, uh, the people who were making money off of the gladiatorial system did not want their gladiators killed. Because of that, the weapons that were chosen were chosen so that they wouldn't actually kill. The modern movies that they have nowadays <clears throat> go for the kill because it's all staged anyway. Right. All right. So uh, an example of that is whenever, and you've seen quite often, uh, a helicopter crash, a disaster. All right. Many movies have them. No helicopters killed. <laughs> so um, in the gladiator days, they actually had quite a lot of medical science to keep these gladiators alive so that they could go back into battle again. They had good ones. I mean, these guys, if you've got a gladiator that's really good at it, you want to keep him alive and keep him gladiating. Yeah, he might be a moneymaker. He's a moneymaker for sure. Uh, and because of that, they wanted to keep him alive. And that meant that that kind of medicine, um, blunt force tragedy, traumas, uh, hit with axes and things like this were um, very good, uh, let us say, they had many opportunities for that kind of medicine even way back when, and they became fairly good at it. Hmm. But that kind of medicine is quite rare in our society. We do not have a whole lot of uh, coliseums all over it. We do have automobile accidents and other things that are blunt force trauma. But surprisingly enough, most medicine is not 
around blunt form uh, blunt trauma. Gunshot wounds, arrow wounds, knife wounds, uh, stab wounds, uh, uh, heads banging into windshields, that kind of stuff is actually quite rare. An example of that is how much of that have you had in your life? Not too much. Not too much. Well, that's the actual way of looking at it. It's not too much. Um, so. Let's start moving in the other uh, further in the direction of. Uh, and, in, and in fact, we could go so far as to bring up the Dhamma in the idea of the blunt force. That, in fact, if you're wise enough to not be a gladiator, you're probably going to be wise enough to not get cut up so much. OK, so. When when wisdom comes, we can begin to avoid uh, even blunt force because we just simply stay away from it. If an arrow comes flying through the air at you and you can see it coming because you're watching, then you can step out of its way, uh, bat, knock it out of the way. If you're really good, you can catch it in the air before it strikes. <laughs> okay, but. The point is, is that even in blood force, we still have mental components to it. We can also say that there's other kinds of uh, blunt force, but we could call it kind of semi blunt force in the way of asbestos or COVID-19. Mm. But both of these do have psychological components also. In the days when we did not know about COVID-19, then there was all ignorance. Or if there was in the day when nobody knew about asbestos. My dad actually died from asbestos, but really? in the days when they didn't even know about it. Because hmm. that was back in the 1940s and 50s when he was putting asbestos as liner to hot water heaters. Oh my. Okay. But now they know how dangerous it is and so how careful it is. Look how knowledge now prevents cancer. If you know to stay away from <clears throat> the dangers of asbestos, you can do so. We also know that about COVID now by wearing a mask and, and staying uh, separate. All right, so there's this whole area of things that we have some control over if we have knowledge of it. Okay, so when we um, uh, are looking at the, the point of disease, then some diseases that some people catch, we don't really, or they don't really know the background or why it happened or things like this because they simply weren't paying attention to it. They didn't see things correctly. It's very hard, in fact, to see the effect that asbestos dust has on the in the 1930s when nobody knew that asbestos, I mean, back in the 30s, asbestos was used for almost everything. Yeah. Even in houses, they used it for sheetrock. I think it's a great material, except for the horrible toxicity, right? <laughs> yes, except for the fact that it gets very, very granular, very, very small into the lungs and, and sticks there, something like COVID does. <laughs> Same thing with uh, with coal or with uh, um, uh, carbon. Carbon is enormously useful. 
but coal dust, <laughs> which is actually nothing but garment, is not particularly good for you. But we know that now. And at one time that we didn't know what black lung disease was, we just knew about it and it began to figure it out. But a lot of people died with it before they figured out what was going on. So this is basically what we're talking about is, is that as medical uh, science grows, it's the knowledge, but it's not just the knowledge of the doctors, it's the knowledge of the entire population. Right. And so we're going in a healthier direction. But now there's always been the other part of it, the unknown. The known was uh, there with blunt force right from the very beginning, or at least a long time ago. Now we're moving up further the chain into knowledge and wisdom, and we're beginning to look at effects that are quite strange that almost look like magic. In the sense of blunt force trauma now becomes bedside medicine. <laughs> and that the medication be, needs to be tested with double blind uh, accuracy to see the actual effect of the medicine because of this other psychological thing that we're talking about, the placebo effect. Yeah. Now, one could say that, wait a minute, maybe we need to better understand and actually study the placebo effect because the placebo effect is quite remarkable. That in general, anyone who, t who is in a blind study of a new medication is generally 28%. Now, that's a, quite a remarkable point, that 28% mark. It's very that... close. 28% of the people, or they all get 28% better? Like, what is that number exactly? Well, generally, 28% of the people, I would think, oh. would be, uh, uh, would, would <clears throat> voice, uh, let us say, improvement because of a particular medication. <clears throat> That's a particularly interesting question that you answer, ask, because different studies ask different kinds of questions. Yeah. But just in general, the general kinds of questions that they answer and whatnot, it winds up being at about 28% overall. But they can actually make some changes to that. In fact, if you have someone in a double-blind experiment, but this time the medication requires hospitalization and IVs and monitoring and nurses coming out, in and out, checking pieces of paper on a clipboard that's hung on the bed, that kind of placebo will go up to about 46%. Nearly half the people will get, let us say, if we're using the word cured, we can say half the people can get cured simply by being put in hospital without the hospital ever doing anything. Why? Because such a profound placebo effect that the mind really gets into the point that all this they're doing so much yeah to help me that i've got to get that benefit from it that's an interesting point about this placebo effect that uh we the humans literally talk themselves into it or believe that this placebo pill is actually going to do its job that I was told that it should do. 
Okay. This is how strong the human mind is, except that it's also manipulable by the people who control the pills. Is this a good pill or is this a placebo? Well, you can take it out of the world of medicine into the world of politics for just a little bit and see that one politician will be giving a pill and he will get a certain response. But another politician can give a placebo and still get 28% of the people to vote for him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And if he says the right things the right way, he might get a lot more than that. <laughs> Right, exactly. So that's the whole point of uh, the the belief system. So if you um, have something like um, acid, acid reflux or maybe burping or maybe heartburn or things like that that indicate that there's too much acid in the, in the system, then old tried and true mechanisms actually change the body chemistry. For instance, uh, Pepto-Bismol is the base. And when you put that into the body, it combines with uh, any extra acids that's in there and everything becomes neutralized. The, the extra acid that we have in the body is because we've eaten something that, ha uh, we've eaten something that had um, a lot of acid base to it. The example of that is, uh, um, let us say, pungent things like onions and garlic and uh, peppers and all kinds of stuff like that are more acidic. Uh, milk is more uh, a base. Right. Okay, so we can actually start looking at the foods we eat to see if they actually have an effect upon our acid balance inside because it's a very good idea for us to start watching yeah <laughs> okay and understand that what we what we're drinking or uh taking has that kind of effect so peptobismols and um uh gosh there's all kinds of antacids that have been antacids on the shelf for many centuries, because the uh, chemist way back when knew what uh, pH factors were. It's an old, old system. And we've known about uh, uh, chemical combinations of acids and bases and things like that for a long time. So those kinds of things that um, operate at that level have been on the market for so many years that people have great faith in them because right. they just actually work as well as sometimes are even advertised and because of that then you have both the placebo effect and the actual uh chemical base of this medicine that's going to actually do something but when people will go to the doctor and the doctor is going to recommend some modern pill that also has a placebo effect to it oh this is something new without recognizing wait a minute an acid uh is not new <laughs> and so there's there, we're moving into the the quality that there all along has been two elements of um medical science 
And in the United States, it has um, quite a lot of mixture to it because of the pharmaceutical industry's influence on uh, the doctors. So to get the doctors to give strange new medications from the pharmaceutical company for stuff that, uh, I mean, just drinking a, a glass of milk <laughs> or taking three or four teaspoons of uh, an antacid would be all that's, that's needed to straighten the body out. Guess what? There's another point about acid, and that is, do you know what carbonic acid is? Um, remind me, I'm out of date on my chemistry here. <laughs> you call, they call it carbon, or excuse me, they call it um, uh, acid rain sometimes. Oh. You. Carbonic acid is water and carbon dioxide mixed together in solution comes carbonic acid. The more carbon dioxide you put in it, uh, a higher the pH level goes up to a point of about almost what, seven or so. I mean, one point, about almost up to eight. I think the middle point is at seven. So anyway, um, a whole lot of weak carbonic acid in the system is acidic. Surprisingly enough, the main product that the human body gives off just by living, and we're not talking about it's on skin level, we're talking about deep inside the muscles. Every muscle movement requires chemical energy being exchanged, mm -hmm. which means every twitch of your finger is going to create a few molecules of carbon dioxide that's going to get mixed in with the blood. Then, in fact, this is what we call tired what tiredness is. When you see two alligators wrestling, they're not going to wrestle all night and all day. They're going to wrestle for about 10 or 20 seconds. And if they can't do their business in that time, they get tired. What does that mean? That means that the carbon dioxide is built up in the system, which means now the body has gotten very acidic. Now, we already know enough about Anapanasati to know that breathing <laughs> will take this carbon dioxide out of the system. So that's one thing that we can look at in, uh, from both knowledge and the placebo effect is, oh, I can actually change my body chemistry through breathing. Right. So that if I, if I feel or that the body has got a lot of acid to it, if I've got... Um, um, <clears throat> burping that tastes sour. You know all the symptoms, I think. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Like, I don't get the heartburn that everyone complains about. Like, there's none of that. So it's very, it's mysterious to me. <laughs> well, what is the, what are the symptoms? Like, if I ha drink water, I'll start, like, having to burp afterwards. Uh, not really sure why. Um, what happens when you drink water? I'll have to start like belching afterwards. Maybe okay. I, the swallowing's a little strange or uh, yeah, I'm not sure why it is. But... Okay. Yes. Um, belching means that there's a lot of air or um, something like air, something that <laughs> was air <laughs> is in the stomach. And there's many ways that air can get uh, into the stomach. One is by intentionally swallowing air. 
Another one is by while we're drinking water, we drink in air with it. Mm-hmm. Also, when we eat food, we uh, that's why uh, burping and belching um, at the end of a big meal. Many, many uh, chefs want to hear their customers belch because that means that they ate, they liked their food so much that they ate it quickly and therefore took in a lot of air also. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also chemical reactions in the uh, the belly itself that can add gases, and so we can belch them out also. And gen- generally, the taste of it will determine whether this was swallowed air or whether it was uh, burned out um, air. Why? Because the burned out air actually tastes very acidic. This is what we mean by um, that that acid. That, that pumps up. So, um, the drinking of the water may not be directly related. And in fact, drinking the water and even better milk and even better than that, Pepto Bismol. Um, but just drinking water will, um, let us say, disperse the acid. Yeah, I drink um, a lot of water. Mm-hmm. So drinking a lot of water will uh, will will help. Um, got neighbors. A neighbor dog is coming. The local <laughs> dog being very territorial about it. Sorry about that. So um, the point that we could go off into though is in the sense of um, how the medical system actually abuses now the thing of it is in in thailand the doctors here um almost let us say almost all the doctors that i have contact with are part of a system that um basically the the government will give um a student uh who is ready for and passes he can get uh, his medical degree and all of the medical education for free. Wow. But he has to sign a 10-year contract saying that for 10 years, he will work as a doctor in the public medical system. Okay. All right. Which means now that the doctors uh, have lost their incentive for making vast sums of money until they're they've spent 10 years so uh by the time that a doctor is educated he's in his 30s maybe even getting close to 40 before he can actually go into uh, into private practice but most of the thai people want to go to the hospitals anyway because it's free (laughs) so for this reason the doctors here are incentivized to just do the medicine they don't make any profit off the drugs. They don't make any uh, anything more than the salary that they're paid by the hospitals. To where in in the West is is a very um, capitalistic system, um, and it, it is quite possible for a man to get a medical degree and then go off and do other things because he can make even more money at it. <laughs> Um, the, the, for many years, the head of Occidental Petroleum was actually a medical doctor that 
didn't practice medicine at all because he can make so much more money being the CEO of um, a big oil company. Uh, and this happens um, on a regular basis, but mostly in the West, we expect doctors to be really wealthy people, like the richest to, guy in town. Right. They have to pay yeah. back some uh, tremendous medical loans, usually. <laughs> yes, and also they complain about uh, a malpractice insurance and all of that kind of stuff because it's the, the country is very litigious. Which means now that the medical doctors in the United States have a whole lot more complicated practice than in general the doctors in Thailand have. Okay, they have a much more complicated practice. And for that reason, the pharmaceutical company has had a great deal of influence. Yeah. Uh, on on the medical doctors. And in fact, you've probably heard about the court cases that uh, one family, I forgot the name of it, um, um, that were promoting the opioids that got so many people addicted to uh, painkillers in the United States. Okay. Well, most pain that people have is the pain of a broken heart of a bad capitalistic system anyway. And so now you have uh, all of these opioids that were kind of in one way given as a placebo, even though the, the side effects were enormous. The actual effects of these drugs were more psychological than actually beneficial. Okay. There's also the other side of the pharmaceutical industry is, is that they would rather make a pill that cures the symptoms than they would to make a pill that cures the disease. Because if they make a pill that cures the disease, they sell a few pills to cure the disease and they're out of business. If they make pills that uh, uh, cure symptoms, then the sick people keep taking the pills year after year after year after year. You've got a lifelong customer. <laughs> and they've got a lifelong customer, precisely. So these are some of the disadvantages when you have a capitalistic medical system. And that it would be much better if we could bring it into a more um, socialized medical system the way that it is in so many other countries. But in the United States, you actually have to be aware that even though the man has a degree in medicine, He's probably about 75% charlatan and 25% medical doctor because of all of these influences. Where in Thailand, the new doctors, especially in the first 10 years of practice, are about 100% medical doctor because they've got no incentive to do otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Where the doctors in the United States are incentivized to join the Rotary Club and join the Lions Club and join the uh, um, the the uh, the Republican Party and to uh, uh, get in bed with the pharmaceutical industry and just uh, sell the drugs to the uh, to their clients rather than actually finding out what the real problems are and and working on that. So uh, as you can tell, I'm not a big fan of medical science in the United States. However, if there was a, re a reason to go to one, I would go. If there's a reason to go. Sure. 
part of the reason why uh, uh, a lot of doctors are not 100% doctors in the United States is because about half the time the, they see people, the people didn't need to go to the doctor in the first place. They didn't need to go to the doctor. My mom was a hypochondriac. I learned about hypochondriasm as a child. Okay. I, I learned to see a poor woman take her children to the doctor when there was no need to go other than the doctor said so. And so um, this is a great deal of what's happening is, is that if you are wise, you will decide what you need from a doctor and go and get that. But otherwise, you probably don't need to go to the doctor because you can't trust them anyway. Yeah, it's kind of sad to think about it like that. Well, that's the wise way of thinking about it. Is, is that medical science in the United States is part of capitalism. And because of that, it's polluted. It's not, does, uh, medical science does not always have the client's best interest in mind. <clears throat> And in fact, it happened back in the 1980s when the hospitals got out of the hospital market and got into the market of making money off the of sick people. That's when the accountants basically took over. Before that, a hospital was a hospital. They would treat people that were sick. Now, they want to treat your wallet <laughs> before they treat the patient. <laughs> And so this is what's happened with medical science in, in the United States is it's gotten almost completely commercialized. That would be another reason why I wouldn't want to live in the United States, because here in Thailand, I trust the medical profession. But in the United States, I don't trust them. <laughs> because of the fact that uh, um, just one of the points about malpractice insurance and the fear of being sued in America means that the doctors will take extra special precautions. They'll have extra tests done. They'll make more procedures. They'll do things that cost extra money that you wouldn't really need to be done other than you're just making sure. And that making sure actually doubles the price. In this case, I almost wish there was more testing and less like, here, have this medicine. We don't know if you even need it, but uh, have it anyway. Okay, well, how do you feel right now? Oh, right now I feel fine. <laughs> I haven't started it yet, so. Hey! <laughs> All right, so the placebo actually worked to the point that you went to get see the doctor, the doctor gave you the medicine, and you felt better without even having to take the medicine. Well, I, I think going to the doctor made me feel worse because I know I'm going to have to take the medicine that I, you know, maybe it's just me being uh, overly worried, but I kind of doubt that we fully understand the effects of these fancy new medicines. Um, so that's where my apprehension is coming from. Okay. Well, I've got a story for you. Okay. This is actually a Gawanka story. Perfect. 
The Goenka story is, is that an old woman was sick in her village. She needed to go to the doctor. She didn't have the money to go to the doctor um, in the village in India because there, there was no doctor around. So her family or friends, people got together and got enough money so that she could go to the doctor, a famous doctor. She went to this famous Ayurvedic doctor, and it happened to have been that his offices were on the second and third floor of this uh, shop house. And on the first floor was a pharmacy, but she goes up the steps um, and she goes to the to the doctor and he uh, talks to her and gives her a diagnosis and writes a chat and says, take this downstairs to the pharmacy. And and he'll prescribe the medicine for you, he'll give you the medicine. And so she went down. And he gave her the medicine and while they were while she was there, she noticed that they had all kinds of stuff in the shop. Candles, incense, photos of the Ayurvedic doctor, all kinds of things. And so she buys a bunch of this stuff, too, with a little bit of money that she left. She goes home and she puts an altar up high. She puts the picture of the doctor, the candle, the incense, and the medicine up there on the on the uh, the altar. And every day she comes in and prays, oh, thank you, doctor, for curing me. I am so happy that I have seen you. And she didn't take the medicine. It's on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'd remind <laughs> that reminded me because that's what's happened to you, that you didn't even bother to take the medicine. And you feel better. Or maybe that it had to do with that the uh, that the acid was temporary, that you did drink enough water, your body did stabilize, and you didn't need to take that medicine that the doctor prescribed for you. Yeah. So these are all things to start watching, to start keeping track of. This is part of wisdom, is to look at the sequence of events that are happening and notice how you feel. That's one of the things that I have been curious about for many, many years that I'd go to a doctor and he'd give more than one pill. Can't give just one. They got to give several, right? And so here I'm on the Internet asking what does what pill do? But that's not enough. I want to actually take the pill to see what effect it has. And if I can't experience the effect, then what's the purpose of the pill? Now, I'm being a little bit more sophisticated because I know, for instance, that blood pressure is hard to tell whether that is. But if you've got a spagmometer at home for about $10, then you can check these pills to see what effect they do have on blood pressure. Right. What effects they, that they do have. This is an important thing is for us to really begin to get to know the body. Um, that it's one of the phrases out of the Hippocratic Oath system is physician heal thyself hmm. along with physician know thyself but they're not talking about medical doctors only they're talking about you become your own physician okay hmm. you watch that body you start noticing what it's doing it's going to get old it's going to have some aches and pains that's something that's kind of interesting, too, so long as we're talking about like this. And that is, is that most people think that troubles in life come and go and come and go. But the reality is, is that things actually overall 
they come and they peak and then they go downhill. But the downhill journey is a lot longer than the uphill journey in time, in the sense of being over the hill. In the sense of there, you one thing, I mean, it doesn't matter much matter what you do have to look forward to. There's a lot of stuff to look forward to, but one thing for sure, without a doubt, old age, sickness, and death. If I'm lucky, right? (laughs) If you're lucky. If you're lucky, old age, sickness, and death. If you're not lucky, you'll get sick before you get old. (laughs) If you're not lucky at all, you'll get sick and die before you get old. So if you're lucky, you get old, you get sick, and you die. And you could also use that word luck in the sense of also choices. The choice in the sense of looking at what's going on. See those arrows, know what asbestos is, et cetera, like that. Okay, so when we have that kind of knowledge, we can avoid it and go into old age. But guess what? Still going to get old. That they they have not, they don't have a clue about. There's a whole lot of dreaming going on, a whole lot of cryogenic research and whatnot like that. But that's all really into that mystical area of wanting things that we can't have. Yeah. And that's a lot of what medical science actually tries to do is it tries to appease people or fib to them or lie to them or give them a placebo or whatever. In fact, they would hope that whatever lie they tell them becomes a placebo so that it does give them the good effect. But the fact is, is that there's a lot of charlatanism that goes on on the on that side, too. And that part of that charlatanism is the lies that each individual one of us tell ourselves about our health. Mm. That the charlatanism starts at home and you're <laughs> in really hot water if the charlatan, the hypochondriac goes to a doctor. <laughs> who's going to know that this is a hypochondriac and just going to take their money and do no good for them. But at least they get the placebo effect. Well, I went to the doctor and he said everything was okay. But we can tell ourselves that. We can become our own position. We can recognize and see things for ourselves knowing that we need to get really good at being a physician because we're going to have an old sick man to take care of someday. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, if you're lucky. <laughs> and so in that regard, we need to get ready for that. We need to get prepared and youth so that we know that when we get old, we've got the mentality that we can handle getting old. That we begin to recognize, well, I didn't need to do that anyway. There comes a time when I no longer need to pole vault. <laughs> I think I may have already come to that time. <laughs> well, when I was about 10 years old, I really needed to pole vault. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so that's the whole idea then is that we part of it is giving up all the desires that we've had all of our lives that we've never done, never will do. 
and start recognizing that what we do have right now is good enough. So when heartburn or when uh, acid reflux uh, comes up, the right thing to do is start reflecting, well, what have I had today? What did I eat that causes this? What can I do to play with it right now? Can I drink some water? Can I drink some milk? Do I know enough about chemistry that I can make some chemical changes in there? And if I and also, can I take some deep breathing? But in that regard, we're talking about let's do this right here, right now. Let's take charge. We're the position. We're the lion. We're the one who is in charge of this life. Let's do our duties right now. But the Western mind has been trained to be that hypochondriac. Oh, I need somebody else to help me. Oh, I've got a boo-boo, mommy. Please kiss it and make it better. Right? This is the mentality that we grow up with. And so we go to the doctor and ask him to kiss our boo-boo to make it better. <laughs> and that's the placebo effect. Going to the doctor often has more psychological advantage for people than we realize. And we don't really need to go to the doctor out there and pay him $150 or $300 or whatever. We can sit there and uh, knock on the door of the, uh, the chief physician in the house <laughs> <laughs> and say, hey, man, I need some placebo right now. <laughs> that we can talk ourselves into feeling good. We can actually take control over the body. This is the um, uh, the the way of of looking at it that we need to have adequate medicine, but just adequate medicine. And the United States in generally is overly medicated. Yeah, I'm. I think that's where my big fear comes from is I'm trying to avoid all of that at a at a young age, especially. Mm -hmm. Yes. And well, the way to avoid it is by being knowledgeable, by being awake, by noticing how you feel, by paying attention to this body before it actually does get old. <laughs> to take care of it uh, and to give it uh, the nourishment that it needs. Uh, and I'm not talking about just physical food of nourishment, but also uh, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of contact and consciousness and um, intention. But basically, we can look at that in the sense of um, the practice of Anapanasati. Consciousness in the sense of paying attention to what's going on, notice what's going on, be in contact with the body. In our uh, modern language, we'd say we got to have skin in the game. Literally, you've got skin in this game. <laughs> the funny part about it is, is that we keep wanting to give all of our skin to the doctor to get him to fix it. Yeah. Instead of recognizing the doctor has got his own problems. And he is not probably has got as much uh, good intention for your skin as uh, as you do. And so everyone uh, has a responsibility to a degree to become their own position. And we have information available to us now that uh, the medical information 50 years ago was much more difficult to come by. Mm 
If you bought a book like Gray's Anatomy, it cost you $50 back then. Hmm. Now it's probably $250 if you buy it now, but you can probably find a PDF of it someplace on the internet anyway. Probably. Mm -hmm. So this is the whole idea uh, of uh, medicine is, is that medical knowledge is becoming more advanced in the sense of the medical science is figuring out more and more. But a more important point is, is that all of the medical science that has been known for the past 2000 years is now becoming more and more available to everyone. So that any pill that you ever get prescribed by a doctor, first thing you do before you take it is to look it up on the Internet, Google it. Find out who's doing what with it and things like this so that you know what's going on. And then when you take the pill, you want to monitor the body to see what effects to see if that pill is doing its job. This may take some special uh, kind of extra special noticing. But really just sitting down with nothing else to do. Uh, and I would recommend it about 20 minutes after any pill. This is because uh, 20 minutes was something that a really good friend, uh, also a, uh, a Dama dude who was a trained nurse. He said that that's how long it takes for a pill to get into the system, get dispersed out of the uh, and into the bloodstream. So after about 20 minutes of any pill that you take, that's when you want to start just, you know, you can. Call it meditation, sit down on the floor, <laughs> squat on the floor, take a deep breath and start watching the body. And noticing what 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 effect that pill had on the body, if any. OK. OK, note note carefully, note note wisely. This is a really good um, experiment to uh, to work with because it really helps to teach um, the effects and the uses of medications and keeps the body fit. Because basically, you could say that there's even if the medicine is effective, the placebo effect is still involved. Mm. <laughs> I just have to make sure I don't give myself a negative, maybe there's a word for it, like a negative placebo effect when you're mm -hmm. like worried about something and then you kind of create it in your own mind. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You brought up a major point. That if you give yourself pills of unwholesome thoughts, the placebo effect alone is likely that about thir a third of the time you're going to feel bad just by having negative thoughts. And sometimes it's guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. And so this is another reason uh, to uh, recognize that, yes, that placebo effect or the way, and then you could go so far as to call the placebo effect part of the attitude. And so by changing our attitude, we actually change that placebo effect in the sense that we can actually get it higher and higher. We know that this is going to work. This is part of the uh, the path of becoming enthusiastic and energetic to the path of the Dhamma to keep looking, keep watching, keep uh, evaluating because you recognize that there's really nothing worth else doing in life other than paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> paying attention to what's going on inside the body, paying attention to what's going on in the mind, paying attention to the um, environment that we're in. This is 
being here now is what literally we're talking about. Yeah, got to look out for uh, falling trees, as it were. Uh, yeah, but the house, unfortunately, can't do that and can't move out of the way, but you can. Yeah. So I'm glad that you didn't get hurt by the falling tree. Me too. So I think that we pretty well finished with that uh, issue about medical science and placebos and becoming your own position. And uh, uh, the last word to say is that I would never recommend anyone go against what they think they need to do by going to a doctor. I would never recommend somebody, oh, don't go to the doctor because of blah, blah. That if you want to go to the doctor, that's the thing to do. I would never want to interfere. If some, if a doctor is given somebody medication and they ask me about it, I would say what I've said to you in the sense of become your own physician, but now do your own monitoring, figure out for sure what effects that medication has upon you. Yeah. And I have seen then people that have um, an example of it uh, commonly is uh, lithium-based drugs for um, the diagnosis of bipolar or uh, manic depressive uh, personality disorder, those kind of um, uh, labels, they get a lithium-based drug. And people who begin to monitor that drug begin to figure out for themselves that we need to take it at some times, but not on a regular position basis the way that it's prescribed, that it mm. actually has some value for it, but only in particular moments or only on particular days. Okay. And others who say that they can throw that out, they don't need it at all. So uh, the reason that the doctors um, do the timing like once, twice, three, four times a day for a medicine uh, is based upon the recommendations from the research that was done on that medicine for large numbers of people. Okay, but each individual person needs to be their own physician and needs to be their own medical research team to find out for sure what effects and when they need it and that kind of stuff and start paying attention to it rather than just taking it because it was prescribed at a particular part of time of day. Okay. Yeah. Again, we're talking about really putting some skin in the game. Lots of investigation. Lots of investigation to become aware of what the body is doing. This is something that um, I would recommend uh, that you do in conjunction with going to the doctor. So, do you have any more questions about this? I think that we pretty well covered it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're just going to see what happens and investigate it. Uh, play it from there. All right. So, we'll go ahead and finish now, then. And I'm glad to see you again, Brian. Yeah, May great you to see and you. your room be very well. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. We'll see you. Good to see you.